how's everyone's week so far? It's been fine. And what day is it? It's Monday. Oh, okay. So we're not really that far. It feels like it's already... Feels like it's fucking Thursday. It does feel like it's Thursday, but it is Monday. The week feels heavy on me, and it is Monday. I'm in that weird phase of starting a new job where every day I come in, they, like, tell me what I'll be doing that day. And so it's kind of weird, too, because I'm so used to being like, oh, these are all the things I need. I know that I need to get done for my work week, and I'm now, you know, starting a new job in a new industry, not experiencing that. So every day Mm -hmm. feels a little weird. (laughs) I can understand that. It's good, though. It's all good. The paycheck's always nice. It's like an outer body experience. Yeah. Yeah. It's nice to be a a functioning working member of society again. So cheers to that. We're doing a very relevant lady this week. Um, I don't even know who we're doing. Wait, you don't know? Did you not look up the book that I texted in the group that I ordered? I might not have read the text. It'll be a surprise. You did not do the research. That's fine. (laughs) <laughs> was I supposed to do research no but you didn't when I sent the name of the book you weren't like what book is that I probably wouldn't have done that either though it's okay I don't blame you <clears throat> uh, yeah so I'm super excited to do this and just as a warning to our listeners there is a 99.9% chance I will cry oh okay. wow okay yeah um so today's history happy hour is Ruth Bader Ginsburg Oh duh! I was gonna say I thought fucking you did. duh. I thought you did. Know <laughs> there it goes. I was pretty sure you knew this, and then I was like, I did I just, know. Yeah, I just wait. forgot. You forgot. Now you remember. Um, so we're gonna get into. Um, before we get into it, I'm gonna do some sources here. So uh, the first is an NPR article by Nina Totenberg that was um, showcased on Morning Edition, uh, the U.S. Supreme Court website, and everybody's favorite Wikipedia. So. Um, RBG was born Joan Ruth Bader on March 15, 1933, in Flatbush, Brooklyn, New York. She was the daughter of Celia and Nathan Bader, Jewish immigrants to the U.S. As a child, she earned herself the nickname Kiki for being a kicky baby, which, what's that nickname? So when she was, like, in utero, she just wouldn't stop kicking her mom. Oh, Oh, kicky. I thought you said kinky, and I was like, what the fuck? (laughs) You're like, that's disturbing. I mean, maybe she is, but, like... Okay. (laughs) (laughs) And I literally have here, not important, but a fun fact. Um, So her mother, Celia, took an active part in her education by frequently taking her to the library, which I just imagined like a small Ruth Bader Ginsburg, like Matilda, like toting that little like wagon of books back and forth. I picture her like in her robe, like (laughs) with her No, it was literally (laughs) Ruth Bader Ginsburg just before she died, but in small Matilda size. (laughs) Exactly. That's exactly what I picture. Collar and all. It's the sweetest image. But before she could get an actual collar, she just took doilies and glued them together. Exactly. It was like, (laughs) I want to grow up one day and be a judge. Correct. Um, uh, So this resulted in her her becoming an excellent student, and she was even able to graduate high school by 15. However, she couldn't go to college. Want to know why? She was a lady. They sent her brother instead. Ooh. Oh, so they, like, she couldn't go because they only had so much. Right, because they chose to send her brother instead of her. Financially. From a a monetary standpoint. From a monetary standpoint. Okay, yes. Got it. Yeah. 
which is just some classic 1940s stuff. Like, it's we can only send one of you. Stuff. I'm not saying I agree with it, but I'm also not saying, like, I get it for the time. Like, if you only had so much money, like, your daughter at that time technically could have a successful life via marriage. Correct. So they were just like, we're going to prioritize yeah. I mean, baby boy Ginsburg. Right. right. Makes so sense. She, yeah, she would eventually go on to attend Cornell where she would meet Martin, Marty D. Ginsburg, well, only 17, her future husband. While studying government at Cornell, she was a member of Alpha Epsilon Phi and was concurrently the highest ranking female member of Phi Beta Kappa upon her graduation. She would go on to marry Martin Ginsburg a month after she graduated from Cornell. Um, shortly after getting married, the Ginsburgs moved to Oklahoma, where Marty is stationed in the Army Reserves. So we have to remember at this time, um, it was the Korean War, so a lot of people were uh, drafted into the military. Um, at 21, she takes a job working for the Social Security Administration office in Oklahoma, but is quickly demoted after becoming pregnant with her first child in 1955. Don't you love that? Love mm -hmm. that. So Love there's going to be a lot of those. You're going to find a lot of those instances here. Um, and they will fuel you with rage. <laughs> <laughs> Around a year later in 1956, um, she enrolls into Harvard Law School, where she is one of nine women in a class of around 500 men. She has a baby. She has a baby, and she is in law school. Wow. Yeah. Mm. And Harvard Law. At, at Harvard Law. Yes. What, like it's hard? <laughs> <laughs> you aced history of polka dots? <laughs> 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 doilies sorry Sarah yeah during her tenure at Harvard the dean of the law school invited each of the nine women in her class to dinner at his house where he asked them why are you at Harvard Law School taking the place of a man because I'm here bitch because I'm here oh yeah because Warner Huntington III got waitlisted and his dad I don't make know a call. what yeah. <laughs> I don't know literally who what I would say to that like I don't even know how I would respond to that well it ends up kind of working out in her favor um it's a super fun question and certainly not at all misogynistic but um <laughs> it's perfect timing for her because her husband who's also an attorney takes a job in New York City so she transfers to Columbia where she won't have to deal with that dean and his bullshit anymore good for her um oh, she would then become the first woman to sit on two major law reviews the Harvard Law Review while she was at Harvard and the Columbia Law Review review. So I asked um, about the importance of this per my in-house legal counsel. Um, and apparently, and I quote, it's a big fucking deal to sit on the law review at an Ivy League college. <laughs> so. Thanks, Kyle. Thanks, mm -hmm. Kyle. <laughs> In 1959, she earns her law degree from Columbia and begins her journey towards eternal greatness. Um, but in true 1960s fashion, she encounters some difficulty finding a job as an attorney, um, you know, because she's a lady. Right. In 1960, Supreme Court Justice Felix Frankfurter, let me repeat that name, Felix Frankfurter. I.e. the name of my next dog. <laughs> um, or do I not want to name a dog after him? Is he a piece of shit? Yeah, he rejects her application for being one of his clerks, despite a strong recommendation from her professors at Harvard. Oh, never mind. Then the name is out. Yeah. As quickly I, as it was in, it is out. I even have in here, why would you ever want to work for a man with that name? I mean, fair. Um, her Columbia law professor, Gerald Gunther, also pushed for Judge Edmund L. Palmieri of the U.S. District Court for the Southern District of New York, which is the one that keeps suing Donald Trump, um, to hire Ginsburg <laughs> as a law clerk, threatening to never recommend another Columbia student to Palmieri if he did not give Ginsburg the opportunity and guaranteeing to provide the judge with a replacement clerk should Ginsburg not succeed. So later that year, she begins her clerkship for Judge Palmieri, and she held that position for two years. 
Um, from 61 to 63, she serves as a research associate and then associate director for the Columbia Law School Project on International Procedure, even learning Swedish to co-author a book on Swedish civil procedure. Um, and due to that, she ends up spending a lot of time in Sweden, and that becomes a great influence on her legal career. Um, so she was super inspired there when she learned that anywhere from 20 to 25 percent of all law students at every major university in Sweden is female. And she even got to observe a judge who was eight months pregnant um, and still working. Yeah, Sweden is an extremely progressive country, aren't they? Like, yeah. generally speaking, socially so they, at least? Socially. And they weren't for a really long time, but they, so for like most of um, the 17th and 18th centuries, they were very, very strict, but they somehow made like this very rapid turn somewhere around, um, I'd say the mid 1800s which is wild, to go from like one end of the spectrum to the total opposite. How do we do that? <laughs> I do like to remind people to cut America a little bit of slack because generally speaking, we are kind of the youngest country on the block. And but that's got to be hard to swallow when you're saying that sometimes. It's, it's hard to swallow. Um, but given that we are so young and we are like, our population is so young, that's no longer an excuse. Right. Um. So, oh, here we go. Yeah, so she, uh, upon returning, she takes a teaching job at Rutgers where she was paid less than her male counterparts because the staff at Rutgers, or like the administration at Rutgers said she had a husband with a good job, so therefore she didn't need to be paid the same amount as her um, peers, her male peers. Um, and at the time, she was one of fewer than 20 female law professors throughout the entire U.S., um, after gaining her tenure at Rutgers, she co-founds the Women's Rights Law Reporter, the first law journal in the U.S. to focus exclusively on women's rights. Um, in, what year was that? <clears throat> Sorry. And so it would have been like 65, 66. Okay. So, yeah. So she really, she makes like very like, like rapid, um, like moves through her academia career. Right. Um. She, after uh, being a professor at Rutgers, she then moves on to become a professor at Columbia. Um, and she becomes their first female law professor and co-authoring the first ever case book on sex discrimination and gender discrimination. Oh, wow. Um, she would even spend a year just casually as a fellow for the Center for Advanced Study in the Behavioral Sciences at Stanford. So all this happened um, during the 60s and 70s. Um, all during her time, she's breaking down barriers in academia during the 70s and even into the 80s, while also doing litigation and advocacy work on behalf of women. So she's an active law professor, but also she's hearing cases, she's writing briefs, and she's like showing up in the courtroom. And she's like a mom and a wife. And she's a mom and a wife. <laughs> um, so in 1972, she co-founded the Women's Rights Project at the ACLU, which is a subsidiary of the American Civil Liberties Union. Um, the Women's Rights Project would go on to participate in more than 300 gender discrimination cases by 1974. So within its first two years of establishment, it heard over 300 cases. Wow. Um, she herself would argue six of those cases before the Supreme Court and winning five of them. Is this essentially what the movie um, On the Basis of Sex is? About. Yes, that's exactly okay. what it's about. I haven't mm -hmm. watched it yet, but um, I, like, want to watch it. And I didn't know, like, I knew it was about RBG, but I didn't know, like, about which 
portion of her life or her career? It focuses predominantly like her time at Columbia and the establishment of the Women's Rights Project and her like speaking cases for women. Okay. Um, uh, the laws Ginsburg targeted included those that on the surface appeared beneficial to women, but in fact reinforced the notion that women needed to be dependent on men. Her strategic advocacy extended to word choice, favoring the use of gender instead of sex after her secretary suggested the word sex would serve as a distraction to judges. Good call. She attained a reputation as a skilled oral advocate and her work led directly to the end of gender discrimination in many areas of the law. So, um, it would take hours for me to go through the massive list of cases. She argued in front of the Supreme Court on behalf of gender discrimination. So I'm going to pick two per someone's recommendation that he said I should discuss. So Ginsburg volunteered to write the brief for Reed versus Reed in which the Supreme Court extended the protections of the Equal Protection Clause to the 14th Amendment to women. Um, so a little bit on the case, Sally and Cecil Reed were a separated married couple who were in conflict over which of them would be designated as administrator of the estate of their deceased son. Each filed a petition with the probate court of Ada County, Idaho, asking to be named as the administrator. Idaho code specified that males must be preferred to females. Shocker. Mm. In appointing administrators of estates and the court appointed, Cecil, as administrator of the estate, valued at less than $1,000. Sally Reed was represented at the Supreme Court by Idaho lawyer Alan Durr, who argued that the 14th Amendment forbids discrimination based on sex. After a series of appeals by both Sally and Cecil Reed, the Supreme Court considered the case and delivered a unanimous decision that held the Idaho Code's preference in favor of males was arbitrary and unconstitutional. So she wrote all the briefs on behalf of Sally Reed, effectively winning her case and allowing Ruth to formally establish the Women's Rights Project as like wow. something that got shit done. Wow. Um, in 1973, the same year Roe v. Wade was decided, Ginsburg filed the first federal case to challenge involuntary sterilization, suing mm. members of the Eugenics Board of North Carolina on behalf of Niall Ruth Cox. The Eugenics Board of North Carolina. The state of North Carolina had a board dedicated to eugenics. I just threw up in my mouth. Sorry. A little bit. It was hard I for me to go. like. <laughs> the world isn't a huge dumpster fire. Yeah. It's um, so uh, Niall Ruth Cox, who was a mother who had been coercively sterilized under North Carolina's sterilization of persons mentally defective program mm. on penalty of her family losing welfare benefits. So once again, please take a minute to let the fact that there was a eugenics board in North Carolina sink in. <laughs> it just the, but 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 the practice of eugenics a, is effectively what caused the Holocaust. No 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 I know I know but <laughs> what I'm saying is there it couldn't possibly have only been North Carolina. They were no. all over the country, yeah. predominantly there might in the still southeast. Be one, there might still be some in certain states. I would or if if there aren't, I wouldn't be surprised. Yes. So that's been the issue with what's been going on with the detainees in Georgia. I was mm. subtly mm. hinting yes. at that. I see that. The minute now. you said involuntary sterilization, Julie's that was like, exactly we only what... have point two listeners in the state of Georgia. I really don't want to lose them to this. I don't want to offend them, but yeah, um, <laughs> there's some involuntary sterilization going on, which some people may argue whatever because they're uh, not American citizens, but that has zero effect on whether or not this is right or wrong because they're humans. But I, by some people, I don't mean people I know. I mean I mean trolls on the internet. Like these are, things I'm trolls. Re- these are things I'm reading, comments on articles I'm reading that are like, 
they look, you know, there are people in this country that just view, you know, immigrants or non-citizens as like less than human, which is like absolutely shocking. Right. And they're literal trolls. They live under bridges and you have to pay them a penny to cross. I don't know Um, any of these people in real life. I've just seen... Um, We're just aware of it. I'm seeing some shocking shit. I've really been shocked. (laughs) She's Um, shook, if you will. Shook. So so her exhaustive tenure as a professor and working as an attorney um, leads to... The, her nomination to uh, a seat on the D.C. Circuit Court of Appeals. So in January of 1980, peanut farmer, Rhodes Scholar, and Georgia native, Jimmy Carter nominates Ruth Bader Ginsburg to a seat in the D.C. Circuit Court of Appeals. In June of the same year, she was confirmed, and she received her commission later that day. Um, while in her appellate court position, she would become colleagues and friends with Robert Bork and Antonin Scalia, two conservative judges, one of which would later serve on the Supreme Court alongside her. Her service in the D.C. Circuit would end in 1993 upon her ascension to the United States Supreme Court. President Bill Clinton nominated RBG as an Associate Justice of the Supreme Court on June 22, 1993. She was recommended by then-Attorney General Janet Reno and Utah Republican Senator Orrin Hatch. RBG would become the second female justice and and the second ever Jewish justice to sit on the Supreme Court but the first ever female Jewish justice, if you want to take those two and combine them. Um, her nomination was confirmed by a 96-3 to vote in the Senate. Wow. And she received yeah. her commission. Yeah, people were like, yes. When I want to know who those three time? people who said no are, though. Well, that probably, and when was the last time, if ever, we had a 96-3 to vote in the Senate? About like, never. like yeah, never. Yeah, I don't think ever. No. Certainly not today. No. Um, She received her commission and took her oath in August of 1993. While serving as a Supreme Court justice, she continued to hear cases on gender discrimination, but also took stands on voting rights, affirmative action, search and seizure, abortion rights, as well as key cases involving Native Americans and their lands. In 2010, she became the oldest justice on the court at age 77. During Obama's presidency, progressive attorneys and activists called for her retirement so that he could appoint a like-minded successor. So this was something that um, we probably don't really remember because it was like short into um, sort of early into Obama's presidency where they were trying to push for her to retire because she was getting so old and she kept having health scares Mm -hmm. and they were worried um, as we rolled into the 2010 election um, that uh, they, they were worried that if he lost and she died, then Mitt Romney would nominate a conservative judge, which would put the conservative number above the more progressive number, and it wouldn't be like a leveled bench anymore. Because right. um, they used to care about things like that. Correct. So they were really trying to get her to retire, but she was like, no, 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 not doing that. And it makes me think of this bit that Kate McKinnon did on. Oh, I was going to say, it makes me think of this photo. Hold on. Where? This is yes. What she, this is what she was doing when they were like, retire. And she's like, no. They, so <laughs> it, it, it was mentioned again that she retired shortly around the time of the 2000, like around the time of 2016 election for fear of the same thing. Um, and Kate McKinnon did a bit on, Weekend Update, where she was Ruth Bader Ginsburg, and she was like, uh, 
She goes, I've hidden Horcruxes in every Talbot's in the no, DC no. area. No. <laughs> Elizabeth, have you not seen I'm all the Kate McKinnon doing RVD? And then, I haven't what? seen it yet. Oh, oh my she, God. What's the rap? They do, they do like an RVD rap and it's so It's cool. really you'll funny. Have, you'll have to look it up. It's great. So she says oh. the bit about Horcruxes and they go, wait, really? She goes, no, I get injected with pure human growth hormone every morning. Oh, but the, the Horcruxes in every Talbot's is great. Um, so... Uh, this would have been especially easy if she were to retire um, during Obama's tenure as president because the Senate was Democrat-controlled at the time, and it would have been a real quick, like, one-and-done appointment, approved, not a problem. Um, so, however, even after multiple bouts with cancer and additional health scares, RBG ignored these pleas and continued to work. Um, uh, so... Back in 2009, she receives her first cancer diagnosis. She's diagnosed with lung cancer. And then every few years after that, she sort of gets something else. And eventually, um, a few years ago, she was diagnosed with stage four metastatic pancreatic cancer. It's a miracle she lived as long as she did with pancreatic yeah, really cancer um, because that just like wipes you off the face of the planet in almost no time, essentially. Um, so that is effectively what caused her to die. Um, and on September 18th, 2020, um, Ruth Bader Ginsburg died from complications of her pancreatic cancer at age 87. Um, she died on the eve of Rosh Hashanah, and according to Rabbi Richard Jacobs, um, one of the themes of Rosh Hashanah suggests that very righteous people would die at the very end of the year because they were needed until the end of the year. Wow. Um, after the announcement of her death, thousands of people gathered in front of the Supreme Court building to lay flowers, light candles, and leave messages. A few days before her death, Ruth told her granddaughter, my most fervent wish is that I will not be replaced until a new president is installed. In the hours following the news of her passing, more than $20 million was donated to various Democratic politicians via Act Blue, and around $80 million was donated to Act Blue within 24 hours of her death. Sarah, there you go. I so, can hear it crackling. Yeah. Um, the bit, when I read the bit um, about Rosh Hashanah, when I like first saw that, like I was... Like, yeah. like softly weeping. Yeah. Wow. I like literally have goosebumps on my arms and legs. I don't cry very easily. It does make me sad. Um, I'm, not I'm not always an easy crier, but like uh, sometimes <laughs> if I'm feeling right. <laughs> yeah. But she led the most extraordinary life. And if it weren't for her, and I, if it weren't for her, I wouldn't be allowed to sign a mortgage. I wouldn't be allowed to have my name on the deed of this house. I wouldn't be allowed to have a credit card. You guys wouldn't be allowed to have any of these things. And, and mm -hmm. she stood up in front of people and she said, that's not fair. All because we're women doesn't mean we shouldn't have the same rights as men. Right. So, yeah. Um, and I... Uh, I just, I'm, I'm sort of at a loss. I mean, it, it, it's troublesome for me to think that the person who uh, made all these decisions and someone who truly did stand up for women is gone. And that's, that's sad. It's very, very sad for me. And I, I would imagine everyone. Yeah. I was out of town when we got the news, like, you know, when it happened. 
and like my husband texted me and I won't even read the text that he wrote because it's so like like his heart was like broken like I knew he was probably at home crying like he just like he like loved her and I mean I so you know it's it's it sucks not for women but you know also for men who love and support women I mean absolutely yeah absolutely um I came home from I brought Rusty inside from a walk and I like hadn't like checked anything and like I came in and Kyle was like standing in the doorway like waiting for me and he was like RBG died and I was like that's not funny yeah because I thought he was just like telling me like she's back in the hospital and he was like especially just this close to the election yeah and I was gonna ask you what um what there was something where Barack Obama delayed the appointing of one of the justices during the, well, it wouldn't have been 2008. Was it the 2010 election? Or 2012. Wasn't it 08 and 12? Yeah, 08 and 12. You're right. Yeah. So maybe, was it 2012? Didn't, didn't somebody die or left? And he was Antonin Scalia died, and he Antonin yes. Scalia died, and he delayed the appointment of uh, for his replacement. Yes, um, the election, which would be that's the precedent like that was set as like the right thing to do. Yes, and it's the precedent that has always been set. Um, and I will say, just as a little shred of hope, it takes anywhere from seventy to eighty days for an appointment to be approved. Um, Why? Because you have weeks and weeks of committee hearings. Okay. So I find it fascinating that they were able to vet Coney, um, um, Coney Barrett, Barrett, the this Amy, wo- Amy, Coney, Amy, Barrett. Amy Barrett Coney, yeah, Coney right. Barrett Barrett. Coney. I don't know. It I that they were able to vet her so quickly. Do you think they were vetting before like, RBG passed away? They had I think they had to have been. They had to have been vetting from, like, the middle of the year. Yeah. Is that unethical? There's I don't no, know that it's unethical. I don't think it's unethical. Um, I think that they probably were intentionally vetting women. Um, there's – and that's the thing. I'm sure in – probably in closed door rooms somewhere in DC it is being described as unethical but there's really no rule about it um it's the same it's sort of the same as all of those people who were running for president were essentially vetting everybody they were running alongside for vice presidential candidates yeah um <laughs> excuse me but yeah it takes um, anywhere from 80, so, like I said, 80, 70 to 80 days for uh, a nominee or an appointment to be approved. Uh, you have to go through committee hearings to the Senate Judiciary Committee. Um, now, this may work in her favor due to the fact that the Senate is Republican-controlled. Um, and as of right now, every major Republican who has shown opposition to Donald Trump. So uh, Senator Romney, Senator Collins, um, a few other, uh, Senator Murkowski, have all said that they will stand with his appointment and they will um, approve her. 
it just it does feel a little bit like the the idea is a president gets elected who is in one party or the other and rather than being altruistic regardless mm-hmm. of party rather than being altruistic and respecting half of America having a different political opinion than their party, they go, well, because I'm the president, I'm going to force all of America to conform to my ideals and what the party that I stand with, rather than saying, you know what, I'm a Democrat or you know what, I'm a Republican, but let's try to let everybody win a little bit as much as we can. Let's try, because America's made up of 50-50. That might be naive of me to say, because like I haven't studied politics, I haven't studied political science, I don't really know if that's possible and also I'm a toxic people pleaser so of course if I was president (laughs) I would try to make everyone happy that's like blatantly obvious if you know me for five the first phrase coming out of Julie's mouth when she was born was well to be devil's advocate like (laughs) literally what can I do for you it's fine right um but it just like I remember Brandon getting really upset and emotional when um John McCain died because he said you know he felt like he was a good Republican man who, although he had Republican ideals, he would sit and listen to the other side and he would hear them out and he would do everything in his power to serve all of the American people and not just half, not just a, not just a portion. People who can cross the aisle like that don't exist anymore. And that's where, that's the problem. Therein lies the problem. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, and we say it all the time. We really don't care who you vote for. We just want you to vote. Just vote. I yeah. think everyone, regardless of Democrat, Republican, conservative, liberal, I think most people are very frustrated with the way things are going. I, I think it's important for people to remember that our country ebbs and flows. Um, you know, the recession of 08 was terrible. It was like nothing we had ever seen. It was like nothing people living at the time had ever seen Mm -hmm. um you know we were very lucky to not see a depression where people were living in literal tents and calling them hoovervilles after the president at the time um we were lucky that we didn't see the multiple recessions that happened after andrew jackson's tenure as president um and we um you know we were lucky to not see child labor happening during the industrial revolution and at the turn of the century and you know robber barons being the few people who controlled the entire world at the time um so to those of us living and for what we've experienced it doesn't look great but it also needs to be looked at as as a bubble of but this is all we've got to relate it to yeah um and so yeah you're right it probably isn't the worst it's ever been but to people who are coming up now and voting and seeing everything around them and being like, literal towns are on fire. Yeah. Surely this isn't good. Which you're right, it's not good, but it's also not the 1960 riots of Detroit either. I also like, you know, just in watching both parties, hearing the arguments coming from either side, it seems like. Republicans and Democrats both use the Constitution and manipulate it in a way that furthers their agenda. So it's well, it's easy for them to do it, given the fact that it is supposed to change with the way America changes. So 
as your party moves forward, you can take whatever piece of the Constitution best supports what you're doing and say, well, here it is right here, and we can just grow and expound upon this, or, or you know, this little bit doesn't matter anymore, so <clears throat> we can get rid of that. Um, but yes, they both take the con both parties will take the Constitution and they will jerk it around to fit their point. That poor little document is tired. No. <laughs> well, think about it. He was stolen by Nicholas Cage. They had to <laughs> you know, they had to get it back. It has all those secrets on it. He can't be holding all those secrets. That's why he's so long. He's full of secrets. He's so full of secrets. Imagine if every time we added a new bill, though, we had to pull it out and like in quill and ink, like add it to the bottom i think we should it's like traditional rituals of America. we just keep like one like etsy calligrapher like on like <laughs> on, on contract she's on, just, she's on retainer yeah yeah and it's like could someone call daisy may and see if she's available from birmingham then, alabama because yeah know that's where she is yeah and her her shop is called like cool cats calligraphy or something <laughs> i can't she'll also do she'll also do all of the like uh like party caucus invitations for their parties did RBG ever have any kids? She did. So Ruth Bader Ginsburg. Oh, wait, I'm sorry. You said the one. How many did she have? She ended up uh, having five, I believe. Wow. That's a lot. It's a lot of children. I'd like to know what they're up to. I didn't write the number down like an idiot. Let's find out. RBG kids. Nope. That's a child's t-shirt. <laughs> how many, how many you have? Oh, nope. Just two. Five's a lot. Just two. Their names are Jane and James. Love Hello. that, though. J names. And she technically had a J name originally. Yes, Joan. Joan Ruth. Oh, and they chose to not call her Joan because apparently there were too many Joans in her class and it was getting confusing. I love the name. So her mom was like, just call her Ruth. I think there's going to be a lot of Ruths born next year. They're going to yeah, take Yeah, maybe over. I'll just name my son Bader. That's actually kind of a cool name. It is kind of a cute name. Elizabeth, you're making a face. Do you have thoughts on Bader? I just think it's going to become too trendy. Oh, that's fair. What, like when Ruth everybody named their daughter Charlotte. Ruth and Bader. Elizabeth. Charlotte's on Elizabeth's baby name list. I like the name Charlotte. I, I just know too. that after Princess Charlotte was born, everyone was like, Charlotte, Charlotte, I just, Charlotte. I like the name Charlotte. I want to, if I have a girl, I want to name, I want to call her Charlie, but Matt hates it, so. Oh, I like it. Um, I've also been looking into Norwegian names, like Thor. Oh, I'm real into Welsh names. Like, uh, I really like the name Briny. That's oh, yeah. cute as fuck. I That's like that. Cute. Right? I like it. It has mixed feelings on the other side of the door. You're Welsh, right? I am. Yeah. Super. Yeah. <clears throat> Kyle's like mostly Scottish, so our kids are wow. screwed and going to have to stay inside all the time, just covered in zinc oxide. Yeah. <laughs> stay away from the windows. You'll get yeah, don't, don't go near the sun. <laughs> So are you guys going to buy a doily? Oh, uh, for sure. Oh, and also, I wonder, um, uh, my, my buddy Ashley made this really cute onesie for her daughter, and it's just a black onesie, and it's got the, the she like, the oh my God, I cricketed love the collar onto it. That's precious. Yeah. And then she made a t-shirt that's like half doily collar, and then half, um, it says, uh, when there's nine on the other side which is my, someone asked Ruth Bader Ginsburg, like, when do you feel as though, like, women, like, when do you feel as though there will have been enough Supreme Court judges, female Supreme Court judges? And she looked back at the reporter and she said, when there's nine. 
which is the amount of Supreme Court judges there are. Yes. Oh, duh. Yeah. So she was like, when the bench is all female, then get back to me. Yeah. Good answer. Mm -hmm. And then she went and hit one of her horcruxes in a Talbot's in Georgetown. (laughs) Do you think she even wore Talbot's? Every I feel like woman she, I feel like she was an Ann Taylor Loft girl. No. Oh, you think she lofted it? I, think I don't she was think probably sure. I don't think Ruth lofted it in her 70s. I think no. she was straight Talbots and Chico's. I think she was Talbots and vintage Ralph Lauren the whole time. Oh, that too. Totally. Mm. Mm-hmm. But she found them in like thrift stores. Yeah, and I bet she had a cool collection of Hermes scarves that she would used to wear in her hair, but then she started wearing around her neck when she left, so she always felt like she had a collar. Yes. I believe in that. She wore sensible shoes. She wore sensible shoes. Um, but if she was feeling fancy, she would put on her Ferragamo flats. <laughs> we have her figured out. Yeah. We know everything about her. She also clearly never changed her glasses shape from like 1970 on. And I respect that big time. She was Don't like, fix I like, what ain't broke. Don't yeah. fix what ain't broke. Hard fl- plastic round frames. She working it. She working it. <laughs> I don't... So when she would go home to New York and... She would go into Barney Greengrass and get her lots with her hard plastic round frames. Well, I hope if you're a lady out there, you're feeling pretty empowered. I know it's also sad. So it's a mix of emotions today. Without sorrow, we cannot have compassion. Yes. Amen to that. So from this, something Wait, what was her favorite drink? Oh, let's find out. (laughs) What did Ruth... Who can find it first? (laughs) Who can find it first? Like a cocktail? Loves bragging about how... Oh, she drinks yeah, a like, this wine. Oh, what wine? Do, what kind? Hold on. It's there's it's a food and wine article. Ruth Bader Ginsburg loves bragging about how much Opus 1 she drinks. <laughs> Good choice, Ruth. Someone bought it to me for a party and I just, I haven't stopped. <laughs> That's how... Oh, I hit the stupid article. She's like, what She's is like, this what Trader is, Joe's? Trader Joe's wine. Oh my god, she would not be. It's only two dollars. That's a steal. Um, to do to do. Oh, here we go. I'm gonna read it in what I think is her voice, and it's the one I've been using all night. Justice Kennedy brought it in. It was an Opus something or other, very fine California wine that Justice Kennedy brought. Stop. Yeah. It is a very fine California wine. I would second that. Ruth. It indeed is a fine California. Apparently, Justice Ginsburg, Justice Ginsburg, wasn't through casually tossing around references to how she only drinks the finest Napa Valley Reds. Good for her. So we're all gonna have a glass of Opus, and we're not gonna pour one out for RBG because it's real expensive. We're oh, gonna no, drink no, it instead. No, 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 no. Do I, not pour uh, it out. My dad drink has a bottle drop. of Opus at his house. Just, just be like Dad. There. We have to open it for RBG. I want to say he has it's he has like almost like a magnum of it. He got it as a wedding gift from my mom, or like when he married my mom, and it just like sits oh, those giant, in a the giant bottle. Yes, and it just like sits I've in a box. Those. And I'm always is like, is it when stored you correctly? Store? Like, is it on its side? Is it what's the it's situation? on its side? It's yeah, it's 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 a whole thing. Um, but he literally just like, I was like, when are you gonna open it? And he was like, I don't know. And I figured he would open it when my sister got married, but he didn't. But he did go to a Waffle House that day. So I guess it's kind of the same. Oh, my God. My dad stopped at McDonald's on the way to the hospital. My mom was in labor with my sister. So my dad was in Germany when my mom was in labor with me. <laughs> no. It just wasn't even there. Oh, no. <laughs> Poor Penelope. Yeah. 
and uh, every time I feel like we've been saying poor Penelope a lot on this podcast (laughs) we should just have a section called poor Penelope we really should she can call in 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 today's poor Penelope corner she texted me and she was like I'm planning my birthday party and I said your birthday's in March and she said I'm trying to get a leg up and I said your birthday's in March and she said this isn't she goes this isn't fun you're not participating she's bored which birthday is this for her it's not even a big one. She's like turning 27. That's a random birthday. Yeah, she just, God love Penelope, but Penelope loves it when people celebrate her. What month was she born in? What's her horoscope? She's an Aries. Yeah, that seems about right. Which is interesting because I'm a Leo and I don't go around being like, come to my birthday party. Yeah, Elizabeth. I don't even have a birthday party. Yeah, Elizabeth and I hate her birthdays. I don't mind my birthday. I just want to go out to eat. Like, I just want to pick a restaurant and I want to go out to eat. And then that's kind of it. You're like, don't do anything more for me than that. I had had a party this past year, but it was just because we were moving out of our apartment and I wanted people to bring me alcohol so I wouldn't have to buy alcohol for this new house. So it was like a ruse. That's a smart idea. Very smart. I really like that strategy. Yeah, it was literally just like, Bring a bottle. Leave it here. It's like BYOB, but BYO for me. Yeah, it's it was all people were like, "What do you like? What do you drink? What should I bring?" And I would just give someone like a different type of liquor. And so it was like, I've got a, I've got a vodka, I got a gin, I got a bourbon. You didn't tell anybody rum. Oh no, I don't drink rum anymore. I went through a big rum and coke phase in high school because they kind of tasted like vanilla cokes to me. I can't when do I it anymore, though. When I think about rum though. and coke, though, I want to gag. It's just the least necessary liquor. If anybody um, disagrees with me, that's fine. You can bake with it. Like, Bananas Foster is made with rum. I know yeah. that. Guys, last night, Brandon and I were watching the... I don't know if anyone's watched Cobra Kai. Oh, isn't that the thing about about the, the, the karate kid? It's so good. Cobra is Kai it good? Netflix, highly recommend. It has a 96% on Rotten Tomatoes. It's not That's just wild. It's really Rotten good. Tomatoes is so harsh these days. Yeah, so we're watching Cobra Kai, and it's like one of the last episodes of the second season, and there's this like raging house party. And I literally look at Brandon dead serious, and I go, is that what high school parties are like? I never went to one. And he was literally like, you are so sad. He's like, I don't even know how to respond to you. And then we just changed the subject. I'll never know. I'll never know what they were like. Oh, my God, Julie. I'll throw you a high school party at my dad's house. Oh, my God, yes. And can Wait. we pretend like we're not old enough to drink? Yes. Can we, can we also wear clothes that we have no business wearing? You mean we a bunch have... of layer a bunch of Hollister tank oh, tops and low-rise jeans? <laughs> yes. We'll go to Goodwill, and then I'll, I'll do everyone's makeup, and it'll and all be exactly the same. A yes, and we'll all have to, we'll all have, just for the day, find pixie bangs that are real sharp across. Yes. I had or those. just part your hair starting just, at your ear. Yeah. yeah, all the way over. And it's normal and fine. And just lean like this in every picture so it's safe. Guys, the yeah. fashion was so bad when we were in high school. The kids now, I'm like, that's not what I looked like. I looked terrible. I looked at Kyle one time. I don't know what we were watching, but, like, they were in, like, a velour sweatsuit. And I was like, I used to own a juicy velour sweatsuit. Yeah, and I used I to wear two. it, like, once a week. Yep. And he, like, looked at me and he was just like, why? I hope that that doesn't ever come back. It I always wanted one, back. but they were too expensive. We I had my mom get me the jacket and my dad get me the pants. Oh, that's nice. So I went wow. to Wow, you really worked the system. Good mm-hmm. strategy. Divorced parents. Oh. It's tough, but fun. Well, Murph is giving me a death stare. Um, he needs to go on a W-A-L-K and he knows it's time. And he's like literally looking at me like he is going to kill me tonight. So. Oh, I do want to say though, um, I don't know if you guys have HBO, but there's the show about the Nexium cult called The Vow. 
Ooh. Oh, I heard about this. My f- yes, I heard about this. I knew is it regular it HBO or HBO Max? Because regular HBO, it. it's regular okay. HBO. Okay, regular cool. HBO. Ten o'clock after the weird Lovecraft Country thing that I just can't get into anymore. Okay, yeah, we need to watch it. We should do an episode on it. It's oh. wild. And I will say, yes, definitely go register. Yes, definitely go vote. If you're feeling called, volunteer to work your polls because you will get paid. Yes, and volunteer. This. Please. This is the um, this is one of the toughest years to make sure that um, all polling centers are going to be open because of COVID nineteen. A lot of the volunteers that work the polls typically are either um, high risk age or they're not able to get out and they don't have the resources because of COVID nineteen. So if you are able to on November third, sign up to work your polls and. Sometimes your um, check with your employer because they might pay you that for that day on top of getting paid to work the polls. So if you're feeling called, definitely go look into it. It's powerthepolls.org. We'll post it in a story so you guys have it as a resource. Real quick snaps too for the NCAA. They never get snaps, but they gave Tuesday, November 3rd off to all student athletes oh, so they that. can go and vote. Nice. That's amazing. Yes. It's going to be the one good thing they do for the next 10 years, probably. <laughs> well, All right. Well, I'm starving. Yeah, apparently we're getting Panera now. Oh, Shit. Yeah. All the cards. You want some? Kind of. <laughs> I'll just, I'll be over in two hours. <laughs> Ow, it's fine. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. God damn, you scuba Steve. <laughs> oh. <laughs> All right, cheers. Cheers. Cheers.